Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. From John's Gospel, the 13th chapter. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already decided that Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, would betray Jesus. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from supper. He took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, what are you doing washing my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. After he had washed their feet, he put on his robe again and had reclined and said to them all, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also must wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Together we say, thanks be to God. Surely you know the story. You recognize it as our Monday, Thursday text. When we gather every year on Thursday of Holy Week, we sit in somebody's home and one of us will fill up a pitcher with warm water. 
We sit down and take off our shoes and then we take off our socks and we show everyone our ugly little feet. Then someone you know holds the back of your calf and they pour warm water over your bare foot. They take a clean towel in their hands and they dry every part of your foot, even between your toes. And it tickles a little bit and it feels good. Remember? Now, I know some of you don't like this tradition. Feet are embarrassing. Tough. It couldn't be clearer in the scriptures that if the beloved community of God is proclaimed in that place, people should wash each other's feet. This act is how Jesus said that you get relationships right in God's kingdom of love. This is how you get right relation in your body. You sit while someone washes your toes. And then you switch places. You kneel down and you take someone else's stinky little feet and you wash them with love. I don't know if y'all remember, but a few years ago, when we were still pretty new here, Beth and I tried to put a foot washing station over here near the door of the sanctuary. We stopped after a few months because none of y'all would use it. Sometimes I believe that all we need on Sunday is a loaf of bread, a cup, and a pitcher, and a towel, and we will have worship. This is not a complicated religion. If you don't know the radically transgressive thing that Jesus does in this passage, here's the short version. Foot washing is the ancient rite of hospitality. It was customary in a world where sewer systems were not yet in use and people walked all day on dirty roads that when people were invited to a meal, they would be greeted at the door by somebody who washed the feet and the hands of the guests. That person was a nameless slave. And that person was a fundamental part of every meal even though that person never participated in the meal itself. So Jesus becomes the slave. That's why Peter's having a fit. Jesus dishonors himself, and Jesus dishonors all of them. It's a shameful thing that Jesus takes the place of a servant. But Jesus, you heard, will have none of Peter's whining he says to Peter, unless you let me do this for you, and later he says to all of us, unless you do this for each other, you have no idea what it is to be in the kingdom of love. Jesus seems to be saying that until you understand that there is no act of kindness that is beneath you, 
And until you understand that there is no person's status in the world that is so low that you cannot be their servant, unless you get this posture in your body and this way of seeing other people in your eyes and this way of loving others in your heart, you will not understand a thing about the kingdom of love. So what does this mean for you, beloveds of God? I want to offer a few thoughts this morning. Big picture first. This story that we share together today should make us all ask questions about the shape of our political economy. Specifically, it should make us wonder about the shape of our relationships in this political economy. Because the same folks who were washing feet in Jesus' time picked the strawberries that you ate this morning for breakfast. And they clean your hotel room after you leave it a mess. And they stock your Amazon order so it can get to you in 48 hours or less. Jesus identifies with those whose invisible service makes everything possible, and he demands that you do the same kind of identifying. In the kingdom of love, nobody's labor is invisible. No one's labor is worth that much more than anyone else's. This passage is also about living wages. It's about health care for everybody. It's about child care for everyone who works. Anybody remember or watch still the reality show called Undercover Boss? Yeah, I kind of like it, to be, to be honest. In the show, the premise, of course, is that the boss puts on a disguise and goes to work at the lowest level of his or her company. Inevitably, right, what happens is that the boss is humbled when he or she serves alongside their employees. The boss realizes how physically and emotionally demanding these jobs are. Most of all, the boss sees his or her employees as people struggling to do the best for themselves and their families under difficult circumstances, but people worthy of dignity and respect and fair pay. And then at the end, the CEO goes back to the corner office with a bit more empathy than they began with. It's a pretty good show. Although it should be noted that the difference between Christianity and capitalism is that in capitalism, the role reversal lasts for a week. Jesus says you need to stay there. There's been a quiet movement afoot during the last 50 years that has taken a bit of this thinking into the life of businesses and institutions. In the 1960s, one corporate executive took early retirement from AT&T, and he began to think and speak publicly about leadership. His name is Robert Greenleaf, and he founded what he called the Center for Servant Leadership. Now, servant leadership, when Greenleaf started his program wasn't new, but what was new in some ways was Greenleaf's conviction that servant leadership should be practiced in the corporate world. 
Greenleaf thought that leaders who focused only on their company thriving or who focused only on share prices were misguided. He said the best, and in fact, the only way to lead others effectively is to become their servant. A leader's highest priority should be meeting the needs of the people around them. A servant leader, Greenleaf said, is motivated by questions like, do the people I'm responsible for grow as people? Do they become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely themselves to become servants? What is the effect of my actions, Greenleaf wants leaders to ask on the least privileged in society? Will they benefit or at least not be further deprived? It's almost like Greenleaf had been reading Jesus and understood that in the end, it's people who matter. Servant leadership is a renegotiation of power relations. We tend not to think about our relationships in terms of power, but there is power at work in every single one of your relationships, in the workplace, at school, in politics, in your families and in your relationships with your significant others. And when we look around at the world that we live in today, so many of these relationships are characterized by power that is unaccountable or divisive or exploitative Robert Greenleaf said that the only power that deserves our allegiance, the only power that deserves our allegiance is that which we freely and knowingly grant as a response to a leader's acts of service. The only legitimate power is power granted to a leader because that leader has given up their power and assumes the posture of a servant. What kind of world would that be? There's much more that we could say about servant leadership and if my sharing this with you this morning piques your curiosity. I'd love to have more conversation with all of you about what servant leadership might look like in your work or your parenting or your role here in the church. Servant leadership is not an easy thing to apply, especially when we think about what it means for women and for people of color who have been forced to be servants. but it is worth us taking to heart 
and putting into practice in our bodies. As I finish today, I want to come back. I want to come back around to the whole point of this conversation and this story. The whole reason that Jesus kneels down to wash the disciples' feet in the first place. It wasn't a leadership strategy to try to get the disciples to perform better, right? Jesus wants these women and men to feel loved so that they will know how powerful it is when they give love. The point of transgressing power dynamics is that the power dynamics that we have baked into our society make it hard for us, sometimes impossible for us to love each other. It was impossible, Jesus knew, to love the nameless, faceless slave who washed your feet. Love can't take place between those of us whom society determines are structurally unequal. Love takes place between people who are free. It is the posture of service, freely given, that makes love possible. After Jesus had washed their feet, he said, to his disciples, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Love one another, Jesus says. And then he shows you how. Let the church say, Amen.